0: Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labje. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage podcast. You know, we, uh, we were talking about, again, we're talking about a topic that comes up fairly frequently in our leadership programs. How do you create a safe place for your team members to feel comfortable being vulnerable?
1: You may not have direct teams working below you, but you may have teams that you're aligned with working alongside with the mm-hmm. peers.
2: So for me, what I have found is I have to be vulnerable myself, of course, and my staff has trained me. I didn't know how they did things here, so they had to train me. And this just happened last week, um, something I didn't even know we had to do. And the buyer who works with me called and said, hey, we have to do this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for telling me. I said, I had no idea I even had to do it. I said that would have been totally screwed up had I proceeded the way I was going to proceed. And, you know, so I acknowledged what I didn't know and that I needed help and that I was counting on my team to point these things out to me. So when those opportunities where I need help present themselves, I always make sure I share it with my team and that I am counting on them to guide me. So I've modeled it, I guess, is how I do it.
0: Nice. Yeah, what I I heard is, one of the ways to create a safe place routine would be be vulnerable yourself. What else? How else can we create safe place?
3: I think definitely being careful how you handle when somebody is being vulnerable to you. Be very careful in verbal and nonverbal skills, like the, your nonverbal, especially right. Your voice could say. You know, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Your voice can say all the right things, but you got to be careful if you're nonverbal.:
1: And Sue, thanks for saying that, because Brene Brown does say one thing though. she says that there's two ways of speaking what you're feeling. One is floodlighting, and one is flashlighting. And floodlighting is this going on in this verbal diarrhea about what's going on in your life. And flashlighting is really laser-focused. I am feeling this because of this. And being get to the point and being really raw and vulnerable at that point. You know, we'd probably be around people that have done the floodlighting side of things and you're like, what are you actually vulnerable for? Or is this just a session to listen to you?
0: And see what I got to add too is um, another tip right there, right? Is we need to learn to pay attention to our body like and our tone of voice or intonation, if you will, right? So I agree, it's like what you said is, you know, we can say the right words, but if our face doesn't match the words or if our body language doesn't match the words, it's not genuine. It's not going to be perceived as genuine, right? You've all, you've all heard that study that uh, is completely mistakenly perpetrated about the uh, 7% languages spoken. I don't remember the numbers right now. 50% is, you know, what they, what you say, and what they hear and so forth.
4: Kevin, seven percent is the word you speak. Fifty-five percent is your body language, and thirty-eight percent tone of voice.
0: Okay, thank you, Mark. To that point, that study—I think it was Dr. Moravian, who was a uh, professor at a college—he did that study, and it was taken all out of context. The study was really: was students got up on a stage, they said the word "love" with multiple facial expressions, different ways of saying the word love and the study basically was to indicate whether or not people believed them. Right. So it's like, you can say love, but if you say love and your body language doesn't say love, people aren't, they're not buying it. So yeah. So that's kind of the point, which is great. As a leader is like, just cause you say the right words, doesn't mean that people are buying your empathy or your sincerity. What else? What else can we do as leaders to make a safe place for our people to be vulnerable?
5: I think it's asking, asking someone what they need in in the moment. Like I had a lot of experience where sometimes I just wanted to talk something out loud or vent. And the person on the other side was in fixer mode. And that just totally shuts me down. Cause so like I didn't ask you to fix my problems. Uh, I'm not five. Right. So just knowing if you're someone whose tendency is to jump into fixer mode and people of the opposite sex, you may have more of that tendency that in my experience, I don't know how that works with all the personality I but certainly I think just even the awareness. Just matching yourself to what the other person is bringing
0: mm.
5: that you're not always there to problem solve.
0: Oh, well, that's huge. And for us competitors, that's hard. Not to want
1: to problem solve. Barry, it's interesting you said that. Um, if you wanted that space of just sharing and, and verbal, you know, just verbally expressing what you're feeling, how would you want your person receiving it to create a safe space for you
5: just acknowledge what i'm saying and then say how can i support you you know are you looking for support what do you how can i best support you in this are you are you looking for advice are you looking for venting like i'm good what what's best for you
4: how do
1: you create, how do you ask for that without, if they're not aware, if they're, um, they're not sitting in BS Thursdays or our awareness program, they have no clue about awareness. How do you create that one?
5: Well, with my husband, I've gotten better because it has made me crazy through the years. But I now will say, hey, I want to talk about something. Please know, I'm not looking for advice. I'm just talking it through out loud. And he's like, Okay. But, and then you can see him dying to like solve it, right? And he's like, mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm.
5: I but I think even like for us, if we're more self-aware than the person we're talking to to be able to ask for what we need.
0: That's great. I love what you said there, Barry. It seems like as a leader, then you can almost training, for lack of a better term, your team members without having to tell them this is the process that you just described. You almost train them by demonstrating, right? It's like, you know, what are you looking for from me today? And then the more you do that, maybe they'll pick up on those cues and then they'll come to you and say, hey, i have got, I want to share something with you. I don't need any advice. I just want to vent.
5: Yeah, right? I think as a leader, too, you can model that because Often the best thing your team can see is how you think through a problem or how you think through a situation because just kind of having that open dialogue. So in my former team, I would often be like, hey guys, I just want to throw something out there. I don't want anyone to you know get stressed out, but I want to kind of share some of the things that I'm thinking about. No action required. And that also gave them a language when they would come to talk to me to say Uh, like, no action required.
1: (laughs) Nice. One of the things that yesterday, we had a, we had one of our cohorts go through yesterday and what keeps on coming up was how do we manage up so that you can be vulnerable to people above you that aren't vulnerable and don't create that space?
5: That is a lot riskier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's the topic that came up yesterday for for a while. And I can understand that because we're dealing with managers and they're managing down for sure, which is great because they're learning to be aware and going through the process. But they also have to manage up. And I think we've all been in that space where either having to share something with a client or with a superior or manager. Eric, did you want to say something? Yeah, Mike head off.
6: Well, yes. I was gonna add she yeah, it always
1: works. I always works. <laughs> it's true. I was gonna put it in
6: me. the chat, but what Barry said, um, Alison Armstrong, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she writes about what you were talking about, how you can say to someone, especially a partner who is a man, oh I just she has this thing about a bucket that you just say, I would just want you to like hold the bucket for me. And when you say that, it's like the key that they're not supposed to give you feedback. You don't have to go into the whole thing every time. You just have like a key word that you say. I just want you to hold the bucket, something like that. I can't remember. I read her books a long time ago, and that means that you know I don't you don't have to say anything, and they're you know liberated to just listen, and then you're not going to get the feedback about how to fix it. You change yourself instead of changing the other person, what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, too. Like we're not supposed to be changing other people. I think yeah, nice. I think Mark had a little thing to say about that a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, golden rule for blind spots: you can't tell others that they have blind spots without their permission. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program.
5: Are there positive ways to manage up to be vulnerable? Because I'll be honest, I had really bad experiences. Even when I preface it, even when I'm very clear, I have it under control. Offering any vulnerability or any glimpse that, what is it, never let them see you sweat? like. Offering any glimpse to even say, hey, I just need a little bit of coaching around this one thing. Like, how would you handle it? Has historically resulted in the leader seeing me as less than from that point forward?
0: That's the question of the hour. Everybody hears had manager like that, right? That they're just not aware and. It's hard to connect with them because they're not vulnerable.
5: They don't want you to be vulnerable because then they have, then they're like, "Ooh, then I have to think about something other than outcomes. I have to actually be human and that's not working for me.
7: Mm-hmm. The phrase we used in customer service training that I would do with individuals at this point would be be a duck, right? But we flip that from outside of our environment to the What the customer should feel and experience when they're coming into a, a place of business or your organization, whatever it might be, is they don't need to know all the crap that's going on way back here. They want to be treated like a customer. They don't need to know that you are swimming your hardest and your fastest because that's not part of their experience. But the shared experience is the back end when we all know that each and every one of us is being a duck and the iceberg is bigger than what you can see and we all know what's going on. Well, we're not communicating that forward because the customer doesn't necessarily need to be involved in the story. And that would be part of my training element. You need to know that this is going on. You need to talk about this going on, but the person walking through your door doesn't always need to know. I I know I'm going the opposite of what we've been saying this whole point. This is within the group. This is within the team, but there are individuals outside the team or customers or whatever who don't. Always need to see or know the whole story. They just need to know that things are going on and things are supposed to be happening
1: and they do. Yeah, that's cool, Randall. Thank you. As we're speaking about this, let's break this into two parts of this question. There's personal vulnerability, like my cat's not feeling well, my kids are sick, my father's not doing well. Then there's the work vulnerability where, hey, you know, I'm not really sure how I can do this. I, I don't understand this process. I'm going to look into it. I might need some help from you or my team isn't stepping up. I don't know how to manage it. You know, that's a that's work set of the vulnerabilities uh, coming up. Which one is easier or are they both the same when you're managing up?
5: I think it depends. I mean, my personal experience as a woman is even if it's a personal vulnerability, you're immediately now an emotional woman. And if it's a professional one, you're not ready to lead.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anyone else have a uh, input on that one?
5: Has anyone else had that same kind of experience? Like-
1: I know that I've had to go up, Barry, and,
7: and work through that exactly. And the first question that's usually asked or has been asked of me is, well, what are you doing for your team? Well, that's not what I... I, I didn't walk in to have this conversation. If If I'm struggling to lead my team in a specific area, it's not what am I doing? It's what else can I do? And what else, what are other things I can look at? And I have definitely been in the position and have had that come back at me as, well, what are you doing? Well, obviously, something isn't working somewhere along the way, and I'm seeking insight into tips or tricks or whatever. But yes, I've had it reflected back onto my own personal performance in in leading or managing.
3: That's the thing about leading a team is you've got the team below you, but guess what? You've got a team above you and you can create as much safe space as you want for your team below you, but you may not have any space whatsoever <laughs> from you up. <laughs> so you stick with your vulnerabilities and your difficulties and stuff and have nothing to do with them yeah. because okay. the I... above is not. So, Sue,
1: so thank you for saying that. And so that comes to me. Uh, thanks, Barry. Safe drive, what comes up for me at that point is, are you able to function as a good manager if you're being, I hate to use this word, stifled? Are you able to be and show up authentically for your team at that point? And these are questions we're asking because we're trying to figure out for ourselves what's happening, managing mm-hmm. up.
7: I think it takes a strong person to, to continually show up and, and be like that when there's no support from... Upper management to CEOs, owners, whatever it might be. And I think that also leaves organizations in a massive WTF when they realize that, you know, eight of some of the best employees have walked away. And it's, you know, usually one key person is left and then the exodus falls out from underneath. And they, they suddenly grasp on to what, what was up with that person and why did all these other people leave? And usually it's lack of self-awareness or, or lack of just organizational awareness where they fit or how they manage the team below them even.
1: My two sense. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. So some of the consulting work that I used to do before where we used to work with HR departments and the executives when people would leave to figure out what's going on. Why are people leaving all the time? And on the exit interviews, they would say, we didn't have space to speak. We didn't feel valued. And then the CEO or the manager would say, what do you mean? You guys never asked what you wanted. And there was a couple of times that I actually went and asked the employees, did you actually have a hard conversation with the manager? They go, oh, yeah. They go, does it? Yeah, I mean, they go, well, we tried, but they just weren't open to it. So this is a communication issue there, or the trust issue there, right? Which is where
7: I've asked, is the open door policy really an open door? Yeah. Or is it just a nice, pretty statement on a piece of paper to make, you know, feel, feel good, give you a good game and send you on your way? Because if the door isn't really open, the, well, yeah, I'm trying to, because you don't feel safe, you don't feel confident, and you know, you, you kind of already are anticipating or expecting the results of said conversation, because you know, the door's not really open. And truth be told, and I've been in this position when you are a part of a team, but almost the bottom level of, of a national organization, and you suddenly have to walk into the president's office to say, there's a problem. It's a bit of a tougher conversation. Just, just even hierarchy in your mind, right? Uh, This person's the president and this is where I'm at. And I skipped a level because I didn't like my boss and I didn't like the conversation we had. So I was lucky enough and fortunate in a national setting to be able to just walk into the president's office who, you know, would join us for coffee and stuff, but it's still a hard conversation. I was thinking about the one where clients like you probably
0: remember her saying this, she, um, she has managed several different teams at a, a fairly large company. She's pretty highly self-aware as a, uh, as a leader, and she has created cultures. So the question came up, can you do this, you know, with your own team? And she's created high trust cultures that are, you know, where her teammates feel like they can be, butter very vulnerable. And she said the same thing, whoever said it here first, uh, you know, she demonstrated, I think it was Cindy, you know, she demonstrated vulnerability and that was, that's uh, one of her Mantras, if you will, one of her key components. But when we were talking about her leaders, she basically, like one of them, several levels up, they recognized her value because of her vulnerability and the way she's able to create a culture within her team. But her direct boss was too insecure to deal with that, very unaware, very insecure, not, you know always into the minutiae of the details, nothing to do with connection with people, right? And so she had a conversation with him at one point and just said, you know, every time we get together, it's just tasks, projects, and milestones. She goes, I don't feel like we have really a connection and I'd like to explore that. And the way she said it's probably much more elegant than that, but he was open to the idea. So they, uh, they tried it for a while. They, you know, literally set aside some time and where she would ask, you know, it was like uh, 20 questions, kind of a game and let's get to know each other. So it, it ultimately it didn't go very far because he was still dealing with his own insecurities and lack of self-confidence puffing up and all the other stuff that unselfaware people do, which we've probably all done at times. And Yet, she still has the support of her senior leadership because of the fact that she is vulnerable. So she knows she can be vulnerable like two or three levels up because they recognize that, the value of that. So I I share that, wondering if there's something to that idea that somebody brought up about feeling valued or being valued. So if you feel like you're valued, that, would that open the door to feeling a little bit more secure, being vulnerable with that leader who sees your value?
3: It certainly does for me. My previous job, the upper management was extraordinarily demanding and awful and uh, inconsiderate and talk about people that didn't know their blind spots. They were it's a horrible company. My new company very much an open door policy, very much making every individual here feel a hundred percent valued. And I have gone there with my hands, having to admit that I made this big, huge mistake and the company needed to kind of have my back financially, which in a small business that was tough. It was tough to admit my mistake. It was tough to take ownership. It was tough to to go to management with hat in hand saying, I'm sorry, but my mistake is that it cost you $2,000. Sorry for you a The whole experience was really hard. And they were fabulous. And it's all because I know that they truly value what I do here. They truly value the relationships I've built with my clients. And I've never loved a job more so much more in my life. So yes, that for me, it is knowing that I have a place at the table, knowing that I am part of a family has made it very easy to come up with personal vulnerabilities. You know, deaths close to me and they are just all over supportive. And the reason I feel I can is because I am valued in my previous job. I had a death close to me and I was told that's your personal life. This is work. Put it on a shelf. That's exactly what they said. Put it on a shelf. This has no place in business. Put it on a shelf.
1: So Thanks for sharing that. And and you made the move. It may have taken longer or whatever the reasons were, but you made the move because you went and followed your values as well, your core values, and found a company that matches. And that's kind of where, where I was going with this is because there are companies that are very focused on revenue, and that's all they care about and that's fine as long as you care about revenue as well and you don't care about anything else, okay, go work with them. But if your values are connection and care and relationships, and they don't have those values, you may be the wrong company right and and that's what that's where the struggles from happening you know sue what you just said right now and you know, you made an introduction to your new boss, to me. And within minutes, he, res- he responded and said, yes. And that just shows that that's the type of leaders that we all want in our place. But we don't have them everywhere. Some of us are struggling with that gap as we're great people. You're all here. And, you know, I, I commend all of you to be here and be vulnerable and share and want to grow. But the question is, do we need to worry about them or do we just be who you are and then grow? and move and make the right decisions as you grow, as you find the opportunities. Because we can't change anybody else, we know that. Some of us have tried, it didn't work. And whatever time it takes, it takes that time to, for us to realize things. Some of us have taken 45 years to figure it out.
0: Decision, like you said, takes different lengths of time for different people. But I think we're finding overall, culturally, that there are more and more people willing to make that shift. Because yeah, you know, if you look at Gallup polls and all the surveys that are out there, people are tired of just showing up in a work environment where they're not happy. They're tired of just being sort of enslaved to the system and they want a better quality of life, right? So it's really incumbent upon leaders who to follow you for you know, being here and investing in yourself, but it's incumbent upon all leaders everywhere, if they really want to make their companies thrive, is to really invest in themselves and invest in their people, right? Create an environment, be intentional, be deliberate about creating an environment of high trust, where people love to come to work. They love to contribute because they feel valued. And so I think that shift is taking place. It's a slow turning boat, but I think that shift is taking place.
1: Kevin, thanks for sharing that because one of the things that you and I worked on really hard was trying trying to find out who we want to work with. We thought we wanted to work with the leaders initially, and we tried that. And we realized that if they weren't already aware of some sort, it was an uphill battle. It just wasn't worth going after those leaders. And because we couldn't do that, the managers were hurting. So the only leaders we work with now are leaders that are somewhat aware that want to help their teams. So we chose based on our values, who we want to work with. Because there's a lot of companies out there that could use our work, but how do we get in there if they're not open to it? So we've decided not to do that.
0: Yeah, amazing how many uh, referrals we get from people like yourselves and all others. Uh, You know, we we serve in middle management, senior management uh, roles that say, hey, we need you guys to come to our company but yet the senior leadership team doesn't see the value. They don't, they don't want to invest. They, they're all, we're good. We got this.
1: Hey, Kevin, that gave me an idea. We should have an HR recruitment company on the side. The people that are already aware, the leaders that are already put, match them up together. What do you think?
0: Oh, yeah. Help build really
7: great companies that way. Wouldn't that be something?
1: I think we need to find
7: a new word for HR. I, it is used everywhere. It is, it's talked about everything. Yes, human resources, but we're human first. We're a resource to the org, but I just think HR needs a new term. I think it needs to be called something totally different because, as a valued and needed staff member, team member, whatever it is, the you know organization's hired you or has brought you in to do a specific task. That's resource thinking, right? That's that outcome based, but we are so much more than just. The bottom line, or so much more than just filling a gap in in, in an organization. We're human first. So I I really think HR needs a new term. They just need a revamp overall, but I think
4: HR needs a new term. HC, human care. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And one of our clients actually has a new term. They call it P Strat for short, people strategies. But that was now clever.
1: Erica, you've got CPO, I'm assuming chief people officer.
6: No, it stands for. Certified professional organizer.
1: Oh, there you go. Certified professional organizer.
6: Love that. But I like yours.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, chief people officer sounds
7: like the director of an HR department. Sounds way more open yeah, doors so than I'm...
6: Randall. The the
1: consulting work that I used to do before. That's what we did. We changed the organization's names to CPOs.
6: Wow, I never heard that. Fine. I could never do that job. <laughs>
1: Well, actually, I I disagree. I think we can all do that job because we are aware and we we care about people, so we can actually help our people within our teams. Thanks for bringing that up, Randall. I'll I'll put that on the note to Google somewhere. Say please change HR. We've had quite
0: a few really good ideas on how to create safe places for our teams. Right, we've thrown out some possible ideas on how to uh, be vulnerable we can call it managing up, but how do you be vulnerable with your upper leadership? And um, i to continue to explore that to some degree. But I also think because one of those ideas was the idea of being valued and being seen as valued. So when your bosses see you, you know, see your value, it's easier to be more vulnerable. That might be a managing perceptions thing. I'm not sure. How do we manage that? How do we, how do we make sure that we're valued? So what can we do to, to help them see the value? If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program.
5: Well, I know for me,
2: when I do meet with my manager once a week, I always make sure I finish with, is there anything that has been brought to your attention about my group that needs to be addressed or... Are there any concerns? You know, I just, I put it out there that for him to identify any places where he has a problem with the team, which there never is. uh, But, you know, I just want him thinking about that and that I want to know about that as soon as he knows about it. Because with procurement, a lot of times they don't. People will be bitching about it off, you know, in the corners of the places, and you don't hear about it till it's like nightmare time. You're like, if you only told me this last week, I could have done something with it, you know? So- so that's why I always I always ask him. I'm like, Are you hearing anything? Is there anything I need to be aware of? So it it kind of opens the door for us to talk about my performance a little bit, rather than just all the details that we're talking about what's going on in the department. Sometimes
0: I love that keeping your value top of mind. You're not bragging. You're not even telling your boss I've done all these great things. You're really just flipping the script a little bit and just letting your boss think about. No, everything's great.
2: Right. We're trying to anyway. <laughs>
4: right. Yeah. I think asking questions can create vulnerability as well. When you've modeled it first, then you could ask questions and you've earned the right to ask the question. And uh, vulnerability would say, the principle of vulnerability would say that they can say no, and you're not offended.
0: That's great. Thinking about my business partner three decades ago. That doesn't
1: say. So so you're talking about me? I'm right here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You're the mature one. This is uh, three decades ago when we were he and I were both young and dumb. He was constantly bringing his accomplishments before us, before my other partner, myself, before the team. And his, probably because he was young, and I was young, my perception was he was a little bit like man, you know, a little bit of a braggart or what? You know, why are you always doing this? But I did recognize the value in what he was doing. I mean, I think he knew the value, but I think I recognized much later the values that, you know, there's a false sense of humility that we sometimes carry where I don't want to say what I've accomplished. I don't want to put it out there because then I'm just bragging. When in fact, sometimes I think some of our leaders are so unaware They're just so wrapped up in the minutiae that it would probably be beneficial if we could figure out the right wording so it's not arrogance, but just, you know, hey, I'm so excited. Maybe just one way to put it, you know, I just feel like I accomplished something, you know, that I've been working on or what have you, like bring it before the leaders to the point where they, they recognize like it takes them, snaps them out of their zone of the minutiae that they're dealing with and kind of gives them a moment to go oh, you know what? Great. Good job. Right. So I don't know if there's a balance in there somewhere.
4: Also, there's a book. It was called Hero Maker. The premise of it was make somebody else the hero. So when you tell a story, make someone else the hero. So it might be, can I tell you a story from our team that is just amazing? And you share about somebody else, do something great and make them the hero. Don't make yourself the hero. Make them the hero because by osmosis, obviously, it's your teeth. So that's one way of doing that.
0: Yeah, like that.
4: Celebrate victories, and uh, maybe that's even a question. Then you you share the story, and then you say, "Is there a way we could celebrate that victory?" Can I, like we would you, would you want to respond to the team on that, or you know, you can just ask them.
0: Good mark.
2: I was recently at training. Well, it was early this summer, but they talked about metrics and um, they talked about measuring what you're supposed to do versus only measuring where the exceptions are. And I came back here and that's all we do here is we just measure to look for the exceptions versus measuring to show that we're succeeding at what we're being paid to do. So I tasked all my team members with that. I'm like, hey, rather than measuring, like I have a contracts person, I'm like, rather than measuring how often we're not using our standard templates, let's measure how often we are using our standard templates or, you know, what other things are you doing? And like, we have to check for insurance and things like that. And I'm like, so that's what I was telling him. I'm like, what are you doing every day that you're supposed to be doing? And let's measure that. So for purchasing, when you put something out for an RFP and you don't have any bid protests and nothing goes to a lawsuit, that's success. And I'm like, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, we're supposed to be protecting the university from lawsuits based on how we're purchasing things. So that's when I said, well, that's what we're going to start measuring. We're going to include those types of things with our metrics. So we're looking for those types of things to measure. It's a lot harder to find those things. I mean, we're good. We don't think that way. So we're Mm -hmm. kind of turning our thinking around for what to measure.
4: It's good. Love it. A workshop I call Strength-Based Leadership
5: i make
2: that point, see what's strong, not what's wrong.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And that way we will be able to celebrate our victories on a more regular basis is how I feel about it. So that's what we're looking for. Hmm.
4: That's great.
0: Not to mention, I think that will help with the value question too. Like, look at all the accomplishments of this team.
7: I think that's reflective, too, of the psychology of the mind, right? When we dwell on the negative, negative is all we see in everything that we do. But when we dwell on the positive, we find the 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 light in all the process, knowing, I mean, stuff happens and life happens. But when we acknowledge micro wins and victories and lessons that were learned, even from a loss, but what did we gain? What other information do we have now? We're, you know, just resetting the mindsets. I like that, Randall.
0: Sort of that negativity bias I think we talked about that not too long ago right
6: I love my internet connection went a little bad for a second so I lost like the last little bit so I don't know if you said something that's in, like a segue in between but all of this is reminding me that all these bits that you're saying I use with my clients and I have bits and places to use them with my team members, but I often forget to use them, but I never forget to use these ideas with my clients. So it's making me realize I need to figure out how to remember to use them with all my team, all my team members too, because I don't always do that. Like, what? Why is that? Because I have these like templates and documents in place for like for bringing up all the positives and all these things, all these bits that I do at any time I'm working with my clients. So this they, is like a really good reminder.
4: What one helper might be to see your team members as clients?
7: That's exactly what I was just going to say.
4: Was <laughs> there right. internal clients and there's external
6: clients? Right.
0: Yeah, that was the thread of uh, one of the ways that we ran our real estate agencies. And all, every one of those realtors, every one of those licensed real estate agents were our clients. So we served them and
7: provided That's them a, a great place where they could then serve their clients, buyers and sellers. In the customer service training that I used to do for organizations, it's exactly it, right? You have external customers and internal customers and you are serving everybody all the time, whether you're a part of the chain of things that have to happen or you're providing something to the other end of the chain, you're still dealing with customer service.
0: Mm -hmm. I
7: think that's forgotten
0: in many organizations. The people become a means to an end to serve the external customer, right? And they forget who their first customers are.
1: No matter what you did and you put these systems in place, if the leadership wasn't aware and the teams weren't aware, it all failed. I remember going to two clients, worked there for almost a year, full time. I left, did a follow up three months later, and they reverted back. They just needed somebody to hold them accountable. And they thought that's the best way of doing it. They couldn't shift their minds that this is what they need to do for the people. They kept on thinking, this is the quick tricks that's going to work. We've got five minutes left, and I'd love to capture some of these comments we've made today on how to manage up and how to manage down. So if you want to just put some ideas in the chat window to say, okay, hey, there's one thing you can do. One thing I am noticing is that if we're not able to manage up with vulnerability, there's lack of trust. And if you don't have trust, how do you build that? Forget about being vulnerable. How do you build the trust first? Or do they go hand in hand?
5: I have a question.
6: So would it be overkill to, for instance, with my clients, every time I have a session, we start with the positive. And every time I end, I always say, one of the things I say is, what could I, we done better? Or could I have done better? Would it be overkill to use that? More often, not just sort of as a monthly or quarterly roundup with my team members to use the same method if we have a meeting. So it's more often. Or do you think that would be too much?
1: That's great, Erica. Thanks for saying that. Because I would say yes and. There's never too much of asking for input from your team. However, creating the space that they feel comfortable speaking to you is the key. And sometimes if you create the space by habit, you won't need to ask them. They'll be open to tell you. And that's the relationship you want to build with them.
6: You mean I, by asking? By habit, you mean just asking more often? Yeah. Ask, uh, ask as
1: you feel, but as you're asking, make sure there's space that they feel comfortable to tell you. Right. And, um, and Mark will probably relate to this as well. Ask when times are good, not when times are bad.
5: Great.
1: Right. you. I was going to say lead with
0: confidence. But lead with humility in that you're open to being better. How can I be a better boss? How can I sure you be better? What, what can I do for you, right? I think that's great. And I think doing it often is great. I'm not sure if there's a balance or what too often would look like. Maybe if you did it every week, it might be too much. I don't know.
4: I think it's too often if you're looking for affirmation and validation. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Mark but don't
7: let it fall on deaf ears either right I mean if somebody's going to tell you something because you've asked for it if, if there's a way to, to change or adjust or whatever then then you can show you've done something right because otherwise your team's not going to tell you anything because they know you're
1: not doing anything about it there you go that's the trust thing we were talking about there don't put an idea box outside of the office those things suck in don't work <laughs> all right top of the hour right. Kevin hey excellent Eric a great question at the end there and uh,
0: been a great conversation bye everyone Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.